Welcome to episode 30 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Creating Confidence for Horsewomen with Sandy Simons. Now, I put it out to my Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy students who they would like to hear on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, and someone suggested Sandy Simons. And I'd heard a little bit about her because someone local to me hosts clinics with Sandy. So I did a little bit more research and found out a bit about her and thought, yes, that would be amazing. It would be amazing to have Sandy on the podcast. And so I arranged it and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. It's interesting because whenever I start an interview with a horse person, I have a rough idea. You guys know that I have these questions that I like to ask everyone, but you never really know exactly where the conversation is going to go. And we got quite deep with Sandy and there's a a lot of brilliant messages within this episode. So I know you're really going to like it, but before we dive in, let's talk about who Sandy is. So Sandy is a mother of five, a wife, a businesswoman, a horse trainer, and an international horse presenter. Sandy travels Australia wide to present two day clinics or camps and appears as a guest presenter at Australia's major horse expos. Sandy has now helped thousands of women all over the world with her unique Creating Confidence program to regain their confidence to get back in the saddle whilst enjoying a safe and harmonious relationship with their horses. Sandy's insightful, compassionate nature makes her a truly unique coach who is now providing a training system that has been sadly lacking for those that have struggles within the equine world. Sandy believes that everyone has the capacity within themselves to do more and go further than they ever thought possible. Sandy offers all ladies that have lost their confidence the help, encouragement, and support they need to ensure that their journey with riding can become easier, enjoyable, and more fulfilling. In this episode, we discuss Sandy's journey from riding horses in country Australia for transport into helping women ride and train their horses safely with confidence. We talk about Sandy's own personal struggle with fear and a lack of confidence riding horses after becoming a mother, which I know a lot of people go through the same sort of journey. So I think it's going to be really relatable, some of the things she talks about in today's episode. We talk about how to choose the right horse for you, including the non-negotiable factors, the relationship between trust and predictability when training horses, why Sandy doesn't compete and why you don't have to either if you don't want, how ego can be destructive when it comes to competing horses, how your lack of confidence can actually help you make good decisions around horses, and should we feel the fear and do it anyway? We talk about Sandy's really cool book analogy. You guys know that I love my analogies when it comes to training humans and humans learning about horses. So uh, I really think you're going to like this book analogy that she uses. Um, We talk about wild versus domesticated horses in training, the physical, mental and spiritual aspects of a horse, dealing with negative feedback and judgment in the horse industry, which we all have to face at some stage. And we talk about so much more. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory. And now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. 
get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at amaliademsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Sandy Simons, to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Let's get started. To to start off the podcast, I really like to get an idea of horse people's background. So can you tell us about your horsemanship journey to date, when you got into horses and what has led to where you are today? Oh, sure. So um, obviously I rode as a child. They were kind of my transport back then. I lived up in the country uh, in Rochester in Victoria. So horses were just part of life um, and how we got around. So that's kind of where it started. And then, um, you know, I... um, you know, got married, had a family, and throughout that journey, I've kept with horses purely for my soul. And then the world of horsemanship started to open up, obviously, and that pricked my interest. Um, I'm, I have a curious nature, so anyone and everyone that would, you know, pop up, I would study and watch and go and see. And um, and it's kind of throughout that journey that I ended up with Equitana that I, I've been with them now about 24 years. So um, Equitana obviously is the place to go to learn. Um, so I kind of enveloped myself with anyone and everyone that had something to offer and I studied as much as I can and then brought it back, you know, basically into what I do today. So that's kind of how it all evolved. Amazing. So it sounds like through looking at what other trainers did and staying curious and developing your own style, people started asking you for lessons and then you started teaching and then giving clinics or had you always taught horsemanship and training? No, no, absolutely not. I just used the horses for my own uh, soul, obviously. Um, It was after having children that I um, just naturally went through that journey of losing my confidence because you're, you know, all of a sudden you're responsible for other people. And um, it was through that journey um, that kind of my career got born. It, it, it sort of birthed itself. Um, you know, I was sharing, you know, with friends and colleagues and um, anyone that would listen at the time actually about, you know, having my fear with riding and, and I really struggled. I really struggled with it. And I, I kind of felt like um, it was changing me as a person. I was losing myself. And that's kind of how my career got born. I, you know, I would ride with a few women and, you know, say to them, this is how I'm feeling. And I was quite open about it. And, um, you know, a few people gathered together and um, sort of conned me into presenting at Equitana. And then it just took off from there. It wasn't an idea or a concept I had. It was a feeling that I had that other women were connecting to. So that's kind of how it got born. Yeah, wow. I think that's very relatable because I know that a lot of women, when they become mums, suddenly somehow their confidence drops. Um, So, yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people need help with. And with this confidence building, I know you've got your creating confidence system would you say that is a core theme in your training approach now or how would you summarise your training approach or philosophy with horses and riders? Well, it's all throughout um, my philosophy. Um, Now everything is based off being a nervous rider and 
what I've done with my training was I brought in a lot of safety techniques. And once I got them in place, even for myself, then I found I was doing more. And then I started to create some confidence building exercises. And then, of course, out of that came the whole question, are you riding the right horse? Are you riding with the right people? Do you have the right gear? So everything sort of, you know, panned out from there. And then I started to realise it had a lot of psychology about it. So I got really interested in that and why women, you know, get to a point in their life, either after having children or having a bad horse riding accident or um, losing themselves in their career for a while. You know, I, I really got interested in why does this happen to women? Because I've seen, you know, throughout my whole life, it doesn't really happen to men. There is a minority, but not a majority. But with women, it seems to be a majority. So I looked at the psychology of it and how and why we get lost. And then, of course, the horses in our life, especially women, is the one time in our life that we are actually selfish because women aren't really selfish by nature. Um, so when we actually do give ourselves permission to have that and it doesn't go right, it's, it's quite devastating. It's actually quite devastating because it's the only time we allow ourselves to be selfish and have something for ourselves. So it has a compounded effect, you know, on us emotionally. So I picked up on that and then studied that and then added that into my philosophy and, um, and it just took off and it, it just, you know, um, booked 12 months ahead now and it's, it's just crazy, but I love it. I absolutely love it. That is awesome. And it must be so rewarding helping women overcome their fear, gain confidence and to be able to do something for themselves when, as you say, it's, it's not really natural for women to, to have selfish kind of uh, hobbies. No, it's, well, it goes against most, most women's nature. You know, once we have children, um, you know, everything becomes about them and we kind of forget ourselves especially when they're young, um, you know, all of our energy and time and efforts put into them. And you kind of lose, I think you lose a bit of your identity. You kind of forget what you love and you put everything on the back burner thinking, you know, I'll do that soon. Once they get to school, I'll do that. And then once they leave school, I'll do that. So, you know, it's natural for women to put themselves second. You know, I'm, I'm proud of women that don't. I'm really proud of women that don't. But there is a lot of us that just get overwhelmed you know, with raising families and running households. And a lot of women now work as well as doing children and households. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a, it's a really complex situation to get into. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, what is important is when we do spend time with our horses, that it is fulfilling and joyful and rewarding, not um, dangerous or scary or, um, you, you know, your anxiety lifts all the time. So it, a lot of it's about having the right horse as well. Do you think that's why some women give up horses at that stage in their life? Because they, you know, they try and prioritise the time with their horse, things don't go to plan and then they go, well, it's just not, not even worth it? Well, a lot, of, a lot of women do give up. And, and sometimes it is just a case of having the wrong horse or having the wrong training system, having the wrong coach. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, there's, lots of um, reasons why women give up. But usually by the time they get to a clinic of mine, they're, they're on that border of where they think, you know, you're my last hope, you're my last hope. And, and sometimes the answer is quite simple. You know, it's really quite simple. It's just adjusting stuff so they feel safer. Well, sometimes it's adjusting the horse into better behaviour. Yeah, yeah. And what advice would you have for people around selecting the right horse for them? 
Um, we, that is so complex. Yeah. <laughs> so complex. Um, my first word of advice is never, ever buy based off emotion, ever. Don't ever buy based off emotion and get the right people around you that will look at it with clear vision, really clear vision and ask the right questions. I've actually got a, a, a buying spreadsheet with heaps of questions on what to ask the person that's selling them and there's a lot of boxes you need to tick and you know when you buy a horse some things are negotiable and some things aren't yeah. you know negotiable can be color can be size yeah um but disposition's not you know you have to have a horse that is calm by nature experienced um and can look after you when you can't so you know it's a really complex thing but if you're going out to buy a horse definitely don't take your float and don't take your money yeah <laughs> definitely not yeah really sound advice and what do you yeah. think of some of the the common mistakes that people make yeah obviously bringing the float and cash with them but other mistakes yeah. that they make when they do buy the horse well you know they just don't ask enough questions and don't get the horse exposed to enough to actually see what it's like because you know a lot of horses are comfortable at home in the home environment you know you need to see the horse out and about um I often say to people, if it's a used and recommended horse, then half your job's done. If someone can say to you, I've seen that horse around for a while and he's fantastic, half your job's done. Never buy sight unseen. Um, I've been known to do that myself and luckily for me it's worked out, but I, you know, my priority is not to. But any horse I've ever bought sight unseen has come highly recommended by another trainer whom I trust. So um, I think it's... You've got to ask the right questions and you've got to see the right things and you've got to take your time. And if a, if a seller's out there that is genuine with their horse, they won't mind if you come back half a dozen times. Yeah. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll be concerned about who is buying their horse and if it is a right match. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what about those people who feel like they might be listening and going, oh, I feel like I've, I've got the wrong horse. Like, should I try and get lessons and solve the issues or should I sell the horse and buy something that's perhaps more appropriate? What's your advice around that? Um, you know, if you do end up with the wrong horse, um, you know, the, again, there's such a variation of that. What is wrong? Yeah. You know, um, what I do know with um, most women that come to my clinics, if they've had a fall off the horse, if the horse has hurt them, then their trust is broken. And it doesn't matter what they do, they will still always ride the horse expecting that. And they most of the time they'll carry some PTSD about it. So if you've got a horse that you think is wrong and you have had a fall off it, then it is wrong. You know, it's just part and parcel of it. You need to move on to something that you don't have a history with. But there also could be, you know, women, I have a lot of women that come here and say, well, he's just not relaxed enough or, um, you know, he doesn't feel all that safe to ride or I don't feel like he's listening to me, all that stuff's negotiable. That's just applying more training yep. and getting the horse to think with you. That's where I do a lot of liberty training so that we get a connection and trust and relationship with the horse and then that obviously feeds over into your riding and your groundwork. So there's some things that are negotiable, but usually by the time someone's fallen off their horse, the trust is broken and women need trust. They really need trust. They need to know that their horse is predictable because that in turn helps you feel more confident. If your horse is unpredictable, that puts you in a fear state naturally anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the same with humans, right? If someone's unpredictable, unreliable, we can't really trust them. 
That's exactly right. Exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I often refer to it as like raising children. Mm. You know, there's some things that you might let go by, but there's other things that you just have to stand up for yourself. And so I've asked you to do that. And I've asked you too many times. I'm now going to tell you to do it. Yeah. And, and that can sometimes come into your horse training. What sort of things do you think are non-negotiable when it comes to training horses? Uh, bucking, bolting and rearing. Yep. They're not like negotiable. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, usually what I find with uh, nervous riders is um, spooky horses because they have a higher level of anxiety. Um, they're, they're tense more often. You know, what I find with women is the more relaxed the horse is, the better they feel. So... Quite often, you know, if I see a really hypersensitive horse that is spooky, um, that it doesn't allow the owner to actually relax. So that's that's one of the things that I'll either negotiate away or I'll just say to them, you know what, this is just who he is. There's no excuse for spooking. That, that comes down to your training, but your horse is just hypersensitive. That's just who he is by nature. Um, we can either negotiate it or we switch out horses. Mm, okay. So... Do you think, well, obviously some horses, their anxiety or their spookiness can be helped through training, but do you think that there are some horses who just innately, they're more on that sensitive side and they'll always have that bit of spookiness in them? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my mare Cassidy, she was, you know, terribly hypersensitive Mm -hmm. and, you know, she would spook at a blade of grass. Yeah. Um, But in turn for me, what, she made me do was really step up and get my training a lot more solid and she made me slow down yeah so um you know I found that negotiable and you know it took me a while but got her quite very reliable um but some horses just are innately like that that they're and you can train it away but they're still a sensitive type horse that don't like change don't like quick movement don't like loud noises yeah you know, they're just innately like that. And, you know, it's really up to the skill set of the owner. Are you prepared to put in the time and effort and energy to keep it there? Or do you want a more laid back type? So it's a real personal journey and a, and a personal question of yeah. what do they want to do? Yeah. And again, I think it's sort of like humans, you know, some are just naturally more anxious, more on edge. And yes, you can do things to help that, but that's going to always be a part of their personality. So yeah, it's like you say, I think um, those horses can still have a good life with someone who is willing to put in the work, um, but perhaps more suited to someone who's, who's open to that and, and confident with that type of horse. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're all busy in life. Everyone is busy. They've either got careers, jobs, families, you know, we're all busy. Um, And unless you're a professional horse trainer that can get to them every day, you know, a lot of us are weekend warriors. So, you know, a hypersensitive horse, you know, needs that connection every day, needs to be uh, trained every day or at least three days a week. And and sometimes our lifestyle just can't fit the horse. Yeah. And, um, you know, I like, um, you know, the type of horse that it doesn't matter if I ride once a week, once a month, it, you know, it just doesn't matter that the horse is just rock solid and reliable. And, you know, they're a specific type of horse, but they are out there. They are out there. Yeah. I think that should give people some hope. We've gone on a yeah. bit of a tangent, um, yeah. but going back <laughs> to my, my questions, could you tell us what has been your happiest horse memory? Oh, my happiest horse. I've got hundreds. 
I've got absolutely hundreds. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, my happiest horse memory was when I retired Bowen Cassidy at Equitana and they were honoured. Um, and I think that was my proudest moment, my most proudest moment. They're now retired out in the back paddock and they've, you know, they've worked professionally with me throughout their whole life. Uh, they're 26, 27 now and 24. Yeah. Um, that was probably my most proudest moment, knowing that I'd had them all their lives and they they just shared, you know, my career with me yeah. and my best friends. So that was probably my proudest moment. Can you tell us what you have achieved with those horses that made that moment so special? Um, well, I'm not a competitive person by nature, so competition's out, plus I work, you know, yeah. most weekends. So competition, it, it's just not in me it's just not something I care for yeah um my I think you know overall with those two it was the development of my liberty training and what they could offer me and um it was though Bo and Cassidy together that showed me more of what I could do they actually ha helped me excel and they they helped me get very very curious and find out stuff that I never knew I could achieve, that they, um, they helped me find that. Um, so they were both challenging in their own ways, but both, you know, and both polar opposites, absolute polar opposites. Um, so I think what they, they did was helped me find me as, as I don't call myself a horse trainer because I, I don't, one, I don't care for the label and two, I don't care for all the hard work that goes with it. Um, I'm just really a, you know, I'm just, I'm like everybody else. I'm just a mum that rides really. Um, but they, they helped me find me. Um, so that's probably, you know, something I'll always cherish. Actually, I'll always cherish it. So beautiful. And on the note of competing, I think that a lot of women feel the pressure to compete, whether that's like to prove to themselves that they can do it or to prove to others that there's the reason why they've got horses. What would you say to women who feel that pressure but secretly deep down don't actually want to compete? Um, there is no ribbon or trophy that you can win that will validate who you are or your relationship with your horse. And on that one day, it's only one person's opinion what's important is your relationship with your horse and you know I tell everybody go out and compete and just try and be better with your horse than you were yesterday but there there's no there is no trophy out there that can hold a testament to your relationship you have with your horse and that's what it's about it's about sharing that journey with your horse and looking to be better than you were yesterday but you know competition can bring out the worst in people it really can and the pressure we put on people, it's unrealistic and it doesn't prove anything anyway. Yes, you may, you know, you may win grand champion of the day, but next week you go out and you won't get a ribbon at all. So it's only one person's opinion. So, I, uh, you know, for me, where I sit, relationship, connection, partnership, trust, that's far more valuable than any competition ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful that you say that. I think a lot of people will resonate with that and hopefully take a big deep breath and go, oh, okay, maybe I don't need to yeah. compete. I can just focus on the partnership with my horse and just ride you know, And I think and <clears throat> I believe competition, you know, for some people's good because it gets them to set goals, sets, you know, gets them to work towards it. But 
you know, goals always shift. Mm. They always shift. So even though you're working towards one thing, as soon as that's done, you're looking for something else. So I think setting a competition, if that's who you are and what you want to do, I think that's great. And I think it validates, can validate your training, but it's, it's very transient. It's really, really transient. So, I, you know, I think it comes back down to the relationship you have with your horse. And it's, it's all about what you value. You know, what do you value with your horse? Is it the relationship and partnership that you have or is it winning the best of the best that you can? You know, I think competition can um, bring out the worst in people. And um, that's really sad because the horse is, is the star. That's who, that's who the star is of that competition. It's the horse. It's not the human. Yeah. And I think if you're the sort of person who wants to compete, the real art in that would be competing without letting your ego take over, without letting that pressure change the way you are with your horse and really still focusing on that partnership. I think that would be a really awesome way to compete. That's my goal anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I just think that ego can be very, very destructive. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people that are out there in the competition arena that do have it aren't aware of how bad it is or how, how it can get out of control. Mm. Um, and and I, I find that quite sad, really. You know, ego doesn't serve anything. And we all need some form of ego, whether it's inferior or superior ego. We need some form of it, but it needs to be in check. And unfortunately, um, you know, Ego is driven by validation of others. Yeah. And, you know, you will not ever be liked by everybody or every judge. You know, that's just, just the way it is. And you've got to be content, you know, to walk away in those bad competitions where things didn't go right or you didn't win and still be grateful that your horse is with you. And ego can sometimes take that away. And that's the part of competition I don't like. And I, I don't, you know ego can can be really really destructive really destructive and I don't like seeing it yeah it, what does it uh like when you talk about ego being destructive what does it manifest as like what do you see that doing in, in the in a competition environment or in any environment what can it turn well, into when people you know run in high ego they put themselves first and the horse second yeah and, and that's not fair. You know, the horse is out there doing his very best with the information given to him at that time. Mm -hmm. And people have put a lot of pressure uh, on themselves to get out and win because, again, they want validation. So, um, you know, it, it quite often I will see uh, people walk out that haven't won and I'll blame the horse. You know, the horse didn't do it right or, you know, whatever or the judges are, you know, an yeah. idiot or whatever and um, people need to take you know if you remove ego then it becomes responsibility and accountability you know did I do a good enough job you know did was my horse coping you know was my horse okay with this did I ask the horse to do too much you know and it's common common knowledge if you didn't have it before the show you won't find it there so if your horse wasn't working well before you got there he's not going to go well at the show so it's it's all about you know, being there for your horse and don't put yourself first and don't self-serve over it. Yeah, it reminds me of the quote, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your preparation. So, yep. you know, we so don't, true. yeah, we don't expect our horses to perform better than they do at home. It's like you're probably only going to get a percentage of what you get at home. Exactly. Absolutely. 
Sandy, it sounds like you absolutely love your job, but I'm really curious to know if you could have anyone else's job or career in the world, what would you do? <laughs> what, what would I do? Um, I'm a servant by nature in life. So if I had to have another job, I think I would, um, you know, as a child, I already had it pre-made in my head. I was going to be a policewoman, um, but you know, not to go out and be a traffic cop, but I would have loved to have been in a position where I could help um, abused women, um, abused children, that sort of thing. I had that in my head. And then, of course, I didn't follow through, had kids, you know, so on. But I really admire the people out there that are dealing with those things. They're the real heroes in life, like our nurses and doctors. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot more heroes out there, horse trainers, definitely. I don't believe they're heroes of our world. I think the people out there out there that are really doing something to help other people in real dire straits. I think, you know, that's where I could see myself if I had to rewrite my life. That's where I could see myself going, helping other women. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been the sort of person who just really loves to help other people. Yeah, I just, you know, I really care. I just really care. I had a clinic here on the weekend and a lady lost her husband. She's in her 30s and she lost her husband due to a workplace accident three years ago, two little kids, and she hasn't ridden since then because that was their journey with her husband. And I got her out on my horse and she cried most of the afternoon riding the horse. But she walked away and she said, it's the best day I've had since I lost my husband. And I'm like, that's what life's about. This is real. This is what it's meant to be. I put her on a safe horse, safe environment, nurtured her and she, you know, she couldn't have hugged me enough when she left. Most beautiful woman. And she was just lost in her grief. God bless. That yeah. Tears in my eyes as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's real stuff. That's real stuff. I had a, a lady about 15, 20 years ago come to a clinic and, you know, I met her at the clinic. She was just a fence sitter, a lovely woman, but I took the time to talk and get to know her. And a week later I got a letter off her and she said, you've saved my life. Wow. She said that day leaving the clinic, I had planned to drive into a tree. She had planned her suicide. Yeah. She just said you took the time and you heard me and you listened and you just sat and you just held space and I felt really important for the first time in a long time. And, you know, it was a fleeting. I probably spent maybe an hour with her spasmodically over the day but acknowledged her, listened to her, and I'm like, that's real stuff. That's the power of the horse. That's the, not the power of me. That's the power of the horse. Wow. Mm, that's incredible. And I'm still, yeah. still beautiful friends with her. I've kept her in my life. She's just gorgeous. And she's now really successful. She's a dog trainer. She's really, really successful. And I adore her. Absolutely adore her. Wow, there you go. It, it's just so interesting that, you know, you, you probably didn't think talking to her that day that all of that was going on deep down. And just by listening to her and giving her that time and holding that space for her, you literally saved her life. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, when she walked in, there was probably 30 people sitting there that morning when we had a chat. And when she walked in, I just, just felt something, just mm -hmm. felt something. Yeah. What was yeah, it, it was, that you felt? <clears throat> don't know. I just thought I need to know this woman. Yeah. I, I quite often will get that feeling. I'm like, oh, you're a keeper. You're yeah. a keeper. I'll, I'll keep you in my life. And, you know, I've gathered so many beautiful friends over the years. I'm really blessed, really, really blessed. I love it.
think, yeah, you just never really know what battles people are going through. You know, we only no. see that surface no. level. We make snap judgments, but everyone really is is going through their own battles that we have no idea about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've always got to be conscious of that. Mm. Always got to be conscious of that. Yeah. Never, ever form judgment. Never criticise. Just sit and let people be. Just, just sit. You know, sometimes all people need, women need, is just for you to sit with them and just chat about anything they just you know I think you know uh, through our clinics a lot of people will say to me I felt very safe I felt emotionally very safe and you know that's an absolute blessing absolute blessing for women to do that because you know some days life sucks yeah. and we we just get so busy we lose ourselves and you know to have just a brief moment on a weekend of where you felt whole and peaceful you know that's that's just it's a gift it's a gift they give themselves and I always say to women I'm in awe of you because you've packed your horse up you've driven the float you've got here all on your own you don't know where you were going you didn't know who I am yeah you didn't know what was in front of you but how brave you already are just to get here yeah and when they think about it like that they start getting proud of themselves I'm like they're like oh yeah I did that's really cool yeah yeah, and then they start to see themselves again and it's it's wonderful. And, you know, I've got a lot of women too that, you know, come along to the clinics that just want to keep progressing with their training because, they've, you know, I don't think we ever cure our fear around horses or our loss of confidence, but we deal with it better. I think personally it's one of my greatest qualities and I don't care to get rid of my fear or my um, loss of confidence because it helps me make really good decisions. and it, I, I don't feel at any stage I need to go out and prove anything to anybody. I just want to ride safely. That's all I want, just to ride safely and walk away. As soon as we lose our confidence, we immediately lose our joy. Yeah. So to come back after a lovely, safe ride, having a really good time, I feel joyful and that's what fills my soul and it makes me want to do it again. But I did many, many years petrified before I went out. When I got back, the, I put my, the pressure on me. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to do that again. Oh, no. So I was learning to dislike it because I'd lost my joy in it. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, you're right, because if people aren't feeling confident, then they can't enjoy themselves. You know, they're just spending the whole time making themselves do things that they're actually fearful of doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I often say to everybody, it's not a prerequisite in life. You don't have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're not made to do this. This is your choice. Yeah, this is your choice. So you don't have to do this. So why are you, even when it's this bad, why are you still doing it? And it always comes back to the love of the horse, and they're good for our souls. And that's what the women keep focused on. They're like, I really, really need this. I really, really need this. And we have to. Re, reshape it and reform it so that it starts to bring back the joy and reminds them of why they did it in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the common things that I hear in, uh, in relation to fear and confidence is feel the fear and do it anyway. Do you agree with that? What, what are your thoughts around that? No, I don't believe in that at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people say, if you fall off, get back on. No, I don't believe in that at all. Mm -hmm. if you if you are frightened you have to adjust what you're doing and don't just go and do it 
you need to find better strategies, better lesson plans, you know, a better trainer, whatever it is that you need, you need to change what you're doing. Don't just say, I've got to suck it up and do it anyway. And a lot of time, you know, when we, we lose our confidence, we lose belief in our skill. You know, we forget that we are actually good around a horse. Yeah. So as soon as you start applying lesson plans that relax the horse and, and control the horse, then women start to discover their own skill. Yeah. And then you build that. And I say to everybody, don't fight your fear, raise your skill. Yes. Your skill will lower your fear naturally. Raise your skill, get out and learn more. Yeah. But accept that you are nervous around a horse, accept that you're a non-confident rider and use that to the best of your ability. Yeah. Use that by making better decisions, by doing stuff that, that is safe. Stop thinking, I have to go on a trail ride. If you don't feel safe, you shouldn't be out in the trail. You need to get back in the arena. If you're not safe in the arena, you need to get back into the round pen. But you've got to go back to a place where you feel safe and the horse is listening, obedient, calm and relaxed. And then you build that from there. But don't jump in the deep end and hope and pray everything goes well. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that you can kind of use your lack of confidence or your fear as a tool in a way to help you make better decisions. You go, okay, I'm feeling it for a reason. What do I need to do to actually put myself in a safer situation so I can build on my skills, so I can develop more confidence over time? It's not a case of just feeling the fear and hopping on anyway. No, no, not at all. I use it as my radar. Yeah. And if my fear lifts up, <clears throat> I know intuitively I need to change what I'm doing. Yeah. I just need to change what I'm doing mm-hmm. and not just suck it up and go with it. I listen to it and it protects me and keeps me safe. Yeah. But the other side to it too is if I believe that I can just get rid of my fear and just ride anyway, then I'm riding with ego and that's just as dangerous. Yeah. It's just as dangerous. If you're riding with ego, you're not listening to the horse, you're self-serving. So. You know, I want a healthy level of fear and I want a healthy level of skill and I keep them manageable so they're basically on an even keel. It's really interesting because I think right from the start, uh, kids are taught if you fall off, you just hop back on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't we all? He just needs a good old wet saddle blanket, that horse. Don't know what your problem is. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, when I first came out, I feel like I come out of the closet. Um, But when I first started to talk about my fear because it was really out of control, um, you know, I was humiliated, embarrassed, and it was terrible the feedback I got from people. And people basically told me I was lesser of a person because I felt like that. But we're talking, you know, 30 years ago when it just wasn't heard of, wasn't spoken about, wasn't talked about. And that really upset me. I'm like, you know, I've been around horses all my life. I know what I'm doing, but now I'm just too petrified to do it. And no one could really understand. And and the amount of time people said, just get on and ride the bloody thing. You'll be right. No, no, that's not the answer. And I paid thousands of dollars and researched everybody, went to different training. No one, I just walked away feeling worse, feeling like I was less of a horsewoman because of it. And you know, that really um, upset me enough to sit down and say, you know what, this is within you. This isn't within other people. No one else can answer this. This is within you. Find the answers within you. 
and that's what I did. Yeah, and now you help other women go through the same thing. So that's so cool. Yeah. The name of the podcast is Horsemanship Breakthroughs and you've already sort of told us about a few different turning points in your life, but what would you say has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date? Um, my biggest horsemanship breakthrough? That's a good question. I've got to think about that for a tick. Um, I think um, was doing the Whaler Project with Equitana. We bought in... Uh, I ran the competition and, and found six wild whalers from up in the territory and brought them down and gave them to different trainers. Um, watching how the wild horse responds to humans as opposed to the domesticated horse, that taught me a lot. Um, not to take, you know, they didn't even know what a water bucket was or a feed bucket or a fence was. Yeah. Um, seeing how they slowly got domesticated was out was absolutely amazing one of the trainers was Damien Judd up in um Tamworth and I know Damien quite well and went up there and he said to me Sandy I've you know I'm just having trouble catching him and of course they're wild and he would bounce off the fence if you went in and cornered him so um I went up there and um helped and watched how they caught him and it took a week it took a week wow. without you know threatening the horse or having the horse feel like he was trapped um, but the transformation, once Damien caught the horse and got his hand on him, that transformation over the next few days was just awe-inspiring. How that horse handed himself over to humankind was a, one of the most powerful things I think I've ever seen. Oh, that would have been so cool to see. It was. It was. And, I, you know, I'd met these horses from the day of capture. So... <laughs> Um, to see the end result that um, Damien got on that horse was just outstanding. And the relationship and part partnership was so much deeper than what I had experienced with the domesticated horse. It was, it was amazing. Why do you think the relationship was deeper um, with the wild horse versus the domesticated horse? What do you think? Because the, well, the wild horse had no pre-written data. Yeah. You know, they did not know who humans were. Mm -hmm. you know in any way shape or form apart from being caught loaded on a truck when I say caught yarded loaded onto a cattle truck and dropped off yeah um you know to the trainers and they because they this horse had no absolutely no pre-written data mm -hmm. so you know when I watched Damien present himself to the horse as to who he was uh the horse just melted absolutely melted his name was Rupert I'll never forget him what an amazing it was absolutely beautiful to watch and I'm sure I'll probably never see that again in my life but I I really treasure it yeah that would have been an awesome moment yeah it was it was what do you think makes a happy <clears throat> horse well I think there's you know a couple of components to a horse um that we need to pay attention to um one is one is physically obviously we need to keep check that they're in good health from the inside out not from the outside in uh, the other one is emotionally yeah. um, to make sure that the horse doesn't hold anxiety hold tension or anger um, just to make sure that the horse is on a level playing field emotionally and the other one is spiritually um, when I say spiritually you know you can walk out in the paddock to get your horse and 
you know before you even get near them that they're unwell. You just get a sign. There's something yeah. that just tells you, you know what, my horse isn't well. That's what I mean by spiritually. You can feel um, how they are. And they're the three things that I really pay attention to. Are they emotionally intact to where under pressure they're okay and they cope and they trust and they think logically? You know, they're not a scatterbrained, they don't overreact or underreact where they're too dull. So emotionally is really important to where I, I like to say they're happy. You know, I'm, I'm starting my young three-year-old Morgan at the moment and he's probably one of the happiest horses I've ever met. And every time I apply a new lesson plan, he's like, yep, got it, we're good, no worries. And he tells me the next day, no, I've learned that, we're good. And he's really happy. Um, spiritually, I think is just as important, meaning that the horse is happy in his environment, he's happy with his friends around him, he doesn't feel isolated, you know, because we've domesticated them and we, you know, horses can get depressed. I've seen it and I've felt it. So to have them in an environment where they, they find their own joy and they're quite peaceful is really important. And of course, physically, we all want that. And, you know, that's our responsibility. They've got to be fed well, looked after well. And, you know, we rug horses now, they're in confined areas, um, you know, stabling horses, you know, that they, they, that's just not who they're meant to be. So we disrupt that. So that's our responsibility to keep check on that to make sure that physically they're doing well because we've interfered, you know, in the natural way a horse would live and disrupted everything. We've even disrupted how they, they control their thermostat, you know, by rugging them. So, you know, to care for a horse in a wholesome way, you've got to look at those three things consistently and every day you've got to check. And a lot of it's just about feel. You walk out into that paddock and everything feels good. Okay, we're good today. And it's just a bit, and through uh, training as well, you've got to pay attention that you're not overloading them. And you've also got to pay attention to where they're not training you. You've got to, you know, consistently work on being a good leader. And, and you know, firmness is okay with the horse as long as you're fair. Yeah. You've always got to be fair. Yeah. And, and some horses need you to be a bit firm because they can be a bit of a bully, but you know, a hypersensitive horse, if you're firm with them, they fall apart. So it's about understanding who the horse is by nature and nurturing that and building that. And some horses you have to build confidence, some horses you have to take a little bit away. So it's about paying attention to those three things will help you guide you through your relationship with your horse to bring them out of themselves and get them happier. Yeah. A few times now you've mentioned lesson plans and it's not something I've heard other trainers talk about. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So I have specific lesson plans that I'll apply or get the client or, you know, the owner to do with their horse and they're based off where you're at at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've rested your horse for a month, bring it in. I, I don't say to everyone, just throw the saddle on and go. I have specific lesson plans that reminds the horse of their training, reminds the owner of their own safety, and they go through specific lesson plans as a safety check. Now, if you're riding your horse, you know, consistently and in work, I've got specific lesson plans to educate the horse so that you're raising the skill level of the horse 
And in each uh, cue that we teach a horse, there has to be a lesson plan attached to it to teach the horse for one, then consolidate that cue and then use the cue. And if at any time you're using a cue that you believe the horse has taught and he gets a bit wafty with it or he's forgotten it, you can go back through a couple of lesson plans and remind him. So it's kind of like reading a book. Every time, each horse I own has its own book. And each day when I touch the horse, I start at the first page, first sentence, first word. Now, some days I can speed read the book and other days I could be stuck on a sentence or stuck on a paragraph or stuck on the same page. But when you go through each lesson plan for each specific reason, you're slowly reading the book with the horse. And then some days you'll add chapters or pages or paragraphs. But you never change the book. The book's always the same. And each horse has its own book that you're writing with it. And eventually, hopefully, you'll end up with an encyclopedia. But the lesson plans that I, I teach are designed for a specific reason. It's either uh, safety, relaxation, or performance. And it depends where you're at in your training as to which lesson plan gets applied. I really like the analogy of the book. That would be so helpful for yeah. people. And I think a lot of people struggle when they get out with their horse. You know, they've maybe looked at some exercises or been taught some exercises and they're like, okay, well, how do I actually implement that in a training session? Like, how do I structure my session? So that's a really cool idea with the lesson plans. You're so knowledgeable, Sandy, and I would love to know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I would love to know who has been your most influential mentors. Um, so as a child, um, I was blessed enough to have a local neighbour called LB Godden. People in Rochester would know him. He was my hero back then. Um, he used to bring horses in and break them in. Ichuka Horse Sales was his go-to. We're talking back in the 70s um, and 80s. Uh, so he was the one that got me riding and taught me how to sit on a horse and stay on a horse. And a lot of it was bareback and a lot of them were pretty rank horses. Mm -hmm. So he was one of my first guiding lights. And if he wasn't in my life, I don't think I would have found horses because he just had an abundance um, and then later on in life, John Lyons in America, he played an important role. Um, one of the greatest things I got off John was understanding the horse and uh, his uh, round pen work, which, you know, I've taken that and used that and developed a bit more of that for my Liberty training. Um, so Albie taught me how to ride a horse and how to stay on a horse and how to ride so many different types and sizes at different levels. But John actually taught me how to understand the horse and uh, bring kindness to the horse. That, that was one of the greatest things that John taught me. That's really cool that you had those two mentors who kind of taught you about different aspects of horsemanship. I'd like to know, though, if you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Wow. <laughs> Dead or alive. Um, Etan Helkemi, who is, a, I think he's Spanish. I'm, I may be wrong. Okay. Um, he created Cowboy Dressage. Mm -hmm. um, and he, I love him because of his cross training. He does, he, he used to ride a horse called Holiday Compadre, a beautiful Black Morgan stallion. 
and I watched him uh, blend Western and Dressage Grand Prix uh, together. And that's where my love of the Morgans came from. Um, and he's still alive, thank God. Um, so I would love to um, sit with him and have dinner. <laughs> love it. Um, the other one would be John, just because I'd love to see him again and catch up with him. I adore John. He's a, played an important role with me. Um, and the third one would be Stacey Westfall um, in America. I think um, for her horse training, but also to connect with her being a woman in a, a male-dominated industry. Um, you know, Stacey's done some amazing things. and I love her methodology. I love her attitude. I've met her multiple times through Equitana. Um, and she uses a lot of her faith. She's a very, very strong Christian in her training. And I'd love to see or hear more about how and why that would happen. So Etan to understand more of the cross training, John, because I adore him and I'd love to catch up. And Stacey to um, just as a woman in the in a male-dominated industry. So they're the three. That would be a really interesting dinner and conversation. <laughs> yes. <I think>. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would be. And do you have any favourite horse books, podcasts or resources? Everyone loves Google. Everyone loves Google <laughs> and YouTube. Um, yeah. So, no, not really. Not really. Isn't that interesting? I think I own every book that was ever printed on horses and I think I own every DVD that was ever put out on horses. Yeah. Um, no, not really. I, I'm the sort of learner that has to go and see it, touch yep. it, feel it, do it. That's the kind of person I am. I've never been, you know, I love reading, but I don't do a lot of it, but I can't learn by reading. Yeah. That's just not how, that's not just not my nature. Yep. Um, I learn from the horse more so than anywhere else. So going out, seeing, touching and doing is how I learn um, rather than watching or reading. Uh, you know, most of the time I pass out when I read. <laughs> I fall asleep. I just fall asleep. I've just never been able to retain, you know, I was never really good at school because a lot of it was about reading. I just was disinterested in uh, reading to learn. I like reading as a, you know, a good novel. That's, yeah. that's different. But to read, to learn, it never connected with me. I actually have to go out, see, do and touch and feel. That's how I learn. And I think even if you are someone who does learn from reading or watching, you still need to actually go out and apply that and practice yeah. and yeah. have that experience because we all know you can't learn how to ride or train a horse just by doing the reading part. Like you actually yeah. have to put the hours in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've, uh, you know, I've published a, a fair few training books and I've got training DVDs and online school, that sort of thing. And I say to everyone, good luck, <laughs> good luck, because it never worked for me, but they say it works for them. So, you know, I think everyone's different in how they learn, but I'm a very tactile learner, have always been a tactile learner. Yeah, yeah. I think, like I said, I think it's really important that people have that hands-on learning experience. Um what advice would you give a 12-year-old aspiring to be like you? Uh, first of all, you're not going to be a millionaire. Yep. That's written in stone. Um, mainly, really, just follow your dreams. If it's inside of you and you can't see yourself doing anything else and go out and do it, 
go out and do it and always keep an open mind and don't be judgmental. Keep an open mind and don't be judgmental. Everybody has something to offer you. And I, I'm always of the opinion if I, have, if I uh, create an opinion of someone, then I need to prove myself to be better. And I don't care for that. I don't care to prove anything to anybody. So, you know, don't form judgment. Don't, don't criticise others. You know, people are doing the very best they can at that time. You know, I don't, I, I really believe that kindness has got lost in the horse industry. That's why I like Equitana because it brings everybody together. Yeah. And we, especially being a woman in the, the male dominant industry, you know, I've had more criticism put on me, more judgments put on me. You're not out there winning. You're not out there. You know, I don't plaster myself on Facebook writing. I don't care for it. I just don't care for it. It's not what I value. So you really, you have to have a bit of a, shield of armor to go out there in the horse industry and let those comments roll off your back you just got to let them roll off your back and know that you're doing your very best so follow your dreams follow your dreams get the right people around you to help you but follow your dreams yeah i i think there is a lot of judgment in the horse industry in general and maybe just in general in terms of social media has made it easier for people to uh, speak freely about their judgments and their opinions about uh, things that they don't like. So what sort of, how do you deal with negative feedback or judgment in the horse industry? And what would you say to others who are maybe struggling with that? Um, I always, you know, I always say to myself, um, for me to care, for me to listen to an opinion, first I must care. Yeah. So I love opinions, but I love them to come from people that I trust and that I know have got my best interest. And, you know, I've been judged and criticised throughout my whole career and, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, I don't know these people. They don't know me. Yeah. You know, it's really important that you know your own self-value and you have some self-love and you look after yourself and you're kind to yourself. And, you know, you've got to accept in life, not everyone will like you. And, you know, unfortunately, people, you know, the tall poppy syndrome in Australia, which, which is yeah. pretty rough out there. Um, what I can control in my life is what I do and what I give. That's what I can control. I can't control the rest. So I'm the one that has to sleep well at night. Yeah. That's up to me. So I need to know that I'm doing my very best on that day at that time. I have to be conscious that I'm giving my very, very, very best to the horse and to the client all the time. And I focus on that every clinic that I do. That is my pure fo focus. And I don't emotionally, physically, spiritually come away from that until I finish work. And I always ask myself at the end of the clinic, did I give my best? Could I have done things any better? And I ask everybody, if you've got something you're not happy with, I'm the one that wants to hear it because I want to be better. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really humble. And I think that just shows that you're the sort of person who always does want to give their best in a way that can help the person and horse in front of you. What is the one message you would like our listeners to know or hear from today's interview? It's been a great chat so far. I'm sure people are getting a lot out of today's conversation but if there was just one thing you would want them to take away from today what would it be be kind mm -hmm. be kind to your horse kind to your family be kind to yourself just be kind a beautiful message, a message. yeah
just be kind. Lovely. And where can our listeners find out more about you and what you offer? Um, uh, well, obviously, good old Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good old Facebook, um, sandysimonstraining.com.au. Um, I've got an online school. You know, people aren't hard to find it nowadays. <laughs> Just get on, get on good old Facebook and anyone you're looking for will pop up. So, um, you know, most of where I'm going and my schedule and my dates and stuff are all on Facebook. But, you know, I always tell anybody, if you are interested in coming, give me a call, talk to me about it. Don't, you know, um, I'm, I'm you. I'm no different than you. And if you're unsure about, coming along and riding or give me a call give me a call my number's all over Facebook I'm more than happy to chat with anyone and you know if you do have a problem or you are a bit lost I'm happy to chat about it more than happy that's so good that you say that because I think it can be kind of intimidating for people to sign up to clinics or lessons thinking oh I don't know if this person's right for me I don't know if they're going to judge me or tell me off or absolutely and and I I truly understand the fear of, of that Mm-hmm. going somewhere with someone you don't know, an environment you don't know with other people you don't know. So I actually mm-hmm. understand how intimidating that can be mm-hmm. and, and how much anxiety that can bring. So I'm happy to connect and talk to people. You know, I had one lady say to me I about eight years ago, she said, I rang you and you actually picked the phone up. I'm like, yep, that's what a person normally does. <laughs> I'm like, why would you think that to be any different? She goes, I just didn't think I'd get to talk to you. I'm like, don't put me on a pedestal. I don't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just normal. Of course, I'd answer my phone. <laughs> it's natural. You're so, you're so <laughs> humble and modest, Sandy. I love it. And I absolutely love the conversation that we've had today, speaking about all things women, confidence, horse training, safety, fear. It's been a great conversation. Thank you again for coming onto the podcast. I hope to oh. connect with you again in the future. I would love that. And thank you so much for thinking of me and asking me. It's, it's I was quite chuffed. Oh, (laughs) it's been an absolute honour to have you here. So thanks again. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode. 